Uh, the next question is from J.R. Stokes 53 from the MBT Forum. Um, he asked this question in the last question below was asked in the last fireside chat, but only the first sentence was read out. Could it be asked? I don't know how that happened. How did that happen? That must have been me. All right, so we'll read the whole question. I have a question on how much the human body limits consciousness and our IUOC's potential. That's individuated unit of consciousness potential. That's us. From what I understand, this reality puts constraints on our consciousness in the form of this physical body and the brain. A cat, for example, has more constraints on its conscious ability than us as its brain has less processing capacity. So if the same IUOC was put into a cat and a human, it would have more consciousness or ability to access its potential in the human than in the cat. So I was wondering if a cat is limiting some of our potential, how much more potential, if any, does our consciousness have that this physical human form is preventing us from accessing at the moment? Can we think in much broader ways and process more complex information or concepts when no longer playing a free will awareness unit? Okay. Uh, it doesn't. What he said or she said was um, accurate. But what they made of it was not so accurate. And that is, as an individuated unit of consciousness, the system wants you to optimize your evolution. It wants you to optimize your, your growth. And it will put you into a situation, be it cat or human, that you are ready for. Something that will challenge you enough that you can grow from it, but not challenge you too much that you're more likely to fail from it. So it tries to pick a situation that you, the consciousness, are ready, are ready for. Something that you can succeed in. And by succeed, again, it's not material success. You can seed, succeed at growing. So if you're a consciousness and your consciousness is not well developed and it has a very small decision, decision space, it's not going to put you in a human because you would be overwhelmed with all the choices and wouldn't know how to deal with them. Wouldn't know how to to work with them. Your conscious would not be ready yet for that. And it would probably end up being a failed experience where you're more likely to regress rather than, than, uh, you know, increase your quality. So the system tries to put you where it's optimum for you to be. So it's not like that, um, you know, sometimes you get to be a cat and sometimes, you know, you get to be a horse and sometimes you get to be a, a human. You will go into a very specific human setting, whether that means you're born rich or born poor, or you come into something that uh, is very restrictive or something that's very open. All of that is generally gauged to be just about what you need in order to grow up. Okay. Now, it's not done down to this very, very fine detail, because once you get here, you have free will and what you make of it can change. You know, you may... You may take something that is uh, very uh, challenging and do great with it, or you may take something that's very challenging and fail. You can you can do whatever. You know things change. It's not like you're guaranteed to win. You're just guaranteed a good set of challenges that you should be able to handle. But if the challenge isn't one that really challenges you, then you're wasting your time. 
if you constantly you know, have to repeat kindergarten, well, eventually you're 25 years old and you're still in kindergarten. You're just not being challenged. You know, there's no point in that. That's not an intelligent schoolhouse. You're always given uh, work to do that challenges you, but not over challenges you. So the system guesses. There's no way to pin that down precisely. It guesses. Then you start making free will choices, and then whatever happens, happens. All right. Another question from somebody on the MBT forum. What is your opinion on the current trend that seems to be coming mostly from the U.S. universities and college campuses, openly promoting identity politics and the notion that human sexuality just like Baskin and Robbins ice cream, comes in at least 32 different flavors, any one of which we are free to choose and self-identify with, likely and likewise with race. Well, the way it works, I mean, we humans can look at it and, and redefine reality in any way that suits us. But the way it works is there are lots of possibilities that can happen uh, when uh, an egg and sperm come together, fertilize, grow a child, and have that child. So if you look at it statistically, the majority of those children born are going to be under the normal part of the curve, right? They're going to be normal. That's what normal means. It means that's the that's the average. That's the way most people are. And there's going to be some born that are going to be out at the, uh, you know, a little further off that peak, maybe uh, three sigma. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to people. That's uh, something that is uh, much less likely, but still happens. And then there'll be some that'll be out at five sigma, much, much less likely, but still happens. There's going to be some all the way out at 20 sigma, which is rare, only happens one in a, you know, in a hundred million people, but it still happens. So you have all of this probability distribution over all the possibilities of, of uh, biology in in uh, the birth of a baby. And because random draws are taken, sometimes some people end up way out on the tail of the curve. Sometimes, most of the time, they end up in the middle. Okay? So all these things happen because they can happen. They all exist, not because somebody planned them as a good idea that everybody should be able to make their own choice. They happen because that's the way the rule set works. They're all possibilities. The point is, isn't that, oh, you should be able to choose. You could be heterosexual or homosexual or bisexual or you know, any other category you want. You come in here without any proclivity, without any idea that any one of those are better or suits you better than anything else, and you just get to make your choice. Well, that's silly. It's not like that. You come, you are one of those individuals. You may be far out under the tail, which makes you very unusual, or you may be in the middle, which makes you very common. But whatever it is, the point is that once you're here, you have to deal with what you get and learn from it. That's the point. It's not that you have choices. The choices are already made in the biology and the random draws from, from probability curves. And then the time you get here, you have choices to make. And you can modify some of that biology with choices. If you have a strong intent, you can, you can make the body change. It's not that it's unchangeable. Your mind influences the body. You can change your genetics in ways. You can change, uh, you know, if you really, really want to be blonde and you put enough effort into it, 
your hair will just change from whatever color it is into being blonde. You know, if you can get enough of your intent focused on that, because those things are things that are more random than others. So yes, you have some ability to change stuff, but mostly you get something that comes out of the probability curve and then you deal with it. So if you got that one in a hundred thousand oddity that comes out of the probability curve, then you get to deal with living a life here being very different than everybody else. Maybe you're born with no arms and one leg or something like that. Then you just have to deal with that. So a lot of what happens is just statistical and people have to deal with it. That's why there's not a whole lot of detail in the planning of just what your incarnation is going to be like because there's so much randomness in it that you mostly just can't tell. You can kind of roughly hit for a, uh, something that you think will be challenging, but then once the dice roll and the and the random draws are taken out of probability distributions, you get whatever you get and you learn from it. It's only one lifetime, one lifetime out of thousands. Sometimes you may draw a tough card to play. Sometimes you may draw an easy card to play. Well, eventually, after thousands and thousands of plays, you've kind of sampled all of them, which is good for your growth. Diversity is always good for for growth. So no, it's not like we have a set of choices and we can be any sort of thing that we want to be. We start with some things that are given and then we do the best we can with what we've got. That's the way it works. So would you say that this trend of um, promoting identity politics of which they're free to choose and self-identify with is a sign of progress or is it is it the human ego? Oh, it's some of each. It probably comes from a fairly nice place that you don't want anybody to feel that, you know, there's something wrong with them because they're the one in the 10,000 that came out with no arms. You know, you can, you or they came out, uh, you know, with their, with their biology to where it, it represents, you know, 50% of it's female and the other 50% is male. Or they have a physical body that's male and then they have a, a mind and a, an indoctrine system that's female and so on. All these things are just possibilities and they all happen because they are possibilities. So if you try to make people feel inclusive by saying things like that, well, it's probably a nice try, but it doesn't work because that's not the way it works. It works as you, you know, what you get what you are and then you have to deal with it. But if you, try to make up these artificial things, what happens is you end up frustrating people. Oh, I was born a uh, homosexual, but I really want to be um, you know, heterosexual. Well, then I choose to be heterosexual. <laughs> you can choose all you want, but it probably isn't going to change your biology. But you can go through your whole life claiming to be what it is you want to be. But that's not being authentic. That's playing a role. So if you encourage people to be role-playing rather than dealing with reality and being authentic, then that's probably a problem. But if you're helping people feel that they're included, and it's okay, everybody, we all are different things, and it's just fine, then that's a good thing. It depends on how people take it, what they do with their intents on it, to say whether it's a good or bad thing. It could help some people and hurt other people. It just, it just depends. Now, you can change some of your biology with your intent, but that depends on you. How? Much do you operate out of your being level? How focused are you? How much noise have you gotten rid of in your in your consciousness? 
how much probability do you have to overcome? You see, if something is 100,000 to 1, and you're really a, a you know a five-star wizard, and you bring it all the way down to 100 to 1, it's still not likely to happen, because 101 only happens once in every 100, you see. So it just depends on what you have. You can't just will yourself to be anything. You can will yourself to act like you're anything, but acting is not what we're here for. We're here to embrace the reality, deal with it. That's the point. Now, everybody else needs to learn that diversity is good, that people are different and that there are 10,000 different ways that those humans can come out, and that's okay. There is no shame. There is no negative about any of those. If you're the one in the million, well, that's okay. You're just one in a million. That's statistics. Help those people if they don't have any arms or legs. You know, uh, try to comfort and make reality such that they can they can do as much as they have the potential to do. That's a challenge for us as well. Dealing with those people is part of our growing up challenge. So it all mixes together and creates challenges, and then we evolve or de-evolve according to our choices. All right. Well, somebody, again, continues on with a question on the big cheese. Uh, regarding the big cheese, you've stated that, I chose the title Big Cheese and a tone of irreverence purposely to discourage readers from deifying natural functions of the larger consciousness system, a thing humans are keen to do out of ignorance and fear because they are herd animals, live according to common social rituals under the guidance of a strong leader. Because the levels of fear and ignorance are so high, PMR is on an elementary school level, that's generous. The humans heard the humans heard needs gods much like they need air and water. Deifying the big cheese is a little like deifying the computer chip that controls fuel and spark in your engines in your car's engine. Question is, is deifying the LCS also a result of human herd mentality? If so, what then is the proper way to consider our relationship with the LCS. Okay. Um, that's actually a pretty good question. Uh, it's <laughs> one I've never gotten before. I think new questions that I've never gotten before are always good questions. That's a record. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, you know, the thing that we should... The thing that people have done, let's put it this way, kind of describing the past. Yes, it's true what you said. Uh, about what we, we tend to do that. We're low quality. We have fear. So we, we come up with beliefs that make us feel less fearful. That's kind of a standard pattern that many humans go through all sorts of things, not just the big picture and deities, but their whole life is often around that kind of a, of strategy. It's a matter of metaphor. It's a matter of time and place. If you are going to talk to other people, if you're going to give them knowledge, information, because you've understood something and your picture's grown and you'd like to share it, the way you have to share it is to tell people in metaphors that they understand, that are simple enough for them to grasp, get, and work with. If you deliver it in a tone and with language that is 
absolutely precise and logical and factual, you will lose 80% of the people listening to you because people are not all that logical and factual. People live with a lot of beliefs. So if you want to only give that information to the few who understand what you mean by your metaphors and what you're saying, then you're limited to just helping a few understand. If you want to help others, you need to broaden those metaphors into something that people will get. So you can you can see that the metaphor, let's say the God metaphor um, that uh, Buddha used, the Hindus use, that the Buddhists use, that God metaphor can be interpreted as a little old man, you know, with a long beard, you know, dressed in robes, playing with his pet people. But that's a very unsophisticated way of looking at it. It may also just be interpreted as that something bigger that is that is more significant than us, some bigger thing to which we are a part. And if you want to call that God, as opposed to the LCS, or as opposed to some other name that you make up, you could call it George, you know, and that would be that would be your name. You always talk about George is the source. Well, you can make any name you want, but what you need to do is use metaphors and names or metaphors that help the largest number of people understand as much as they can. So when you hear those kinds of words used, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a fault on the person using them. That Okay, they use religious terminology. It probably means that religious terminology was the only kind of terminology that the people at that time would understand. And it was put in a context that would help people see a bigger picture. So don't get hung up over the words. Look at the metaphors. Look at the meaning of what's behind the words. Now, yes, the majority of people do get hung up about the words. And they'll take one person's metaphors and disagree with another person's metaphor that was trying to say the same thing, but just a different metaphor. And then if it goes really bad, the two of them will try to kill each other because the metaphors are different, even though the intent was very much the same thing. See, so that is a problem. We live in a world full of people who do not have a very high quality of consciousness. But does that mean you just never say anything? You keep it all to yourself? Because if you said something, people might get it, take it wrong, mislead it, and you'd end up creating a monster. No, you got to share it. You got to put it in the metaphors that you think will be helpful to the most people, and then you got to let people do whatever they do with it. If they misuse it and turn it into something ugly, you can't help that. Ugly people will take anything you give them and turn it into something ugly. And I don't mean ugly people by looks. I mean people who are ugly inside. People have a lot of fear and ego and beliefs. So you don't worry too much about that. You do your best you can to make it work as for as many people as possible, and then you let people do whatever they're going to do with it. Um, I don't know if that's really the answer they were looking for, but that's kind of the thing about naming things, about turning things that were just good ideas and big pictures and turning them into some kind of religious dogma and, and rituals. You can't stop people from doing that. If that's the level they operate on, then that's the only metaphors that they can process. And They'll just have to outgrow that too one day. But there'll be lots of other people who will get it on the level that you intend. And for them, 
they'll learn a whole lot and that's important too one source certainly does make a lot of sense you can see how that would be interpreted differently over the over the century or the millennia and uh, how a bigger picture might be a little helpful the next question yeah, well I might uh, I might add to that Donna mm -hmm. one of the things okay. that I, I purposely did it brings up the big cheese one of the things I pers I did uh, purposely was to avoid as many old metaphors as I could so I don't talk about reincarnation I talk about experience packets I don't talk about um, you know the soul I talk about an individual unit of consciousness so you can turn the metaphors into something else but I didn't want the baggage from those other things to carry along with it I wanted people to have a fresh look on the concepts without getting wrapped around the axle by the words so that was one of the things that's why I ended up with a big cheese, you know, and not a some other kind of title because I wanted to keep it light. I wanted to keep it amusing so that people didn't take it too seriously. That's a function. And it's best just to deal with it that way and not make something else of it just because that helps your belief system. All right. Our next question is from Michael from the MBT Forum. On page 678 of the MBT Trilogy, under the caption of defining our system to include all the players, you say something very intriguing. Here's what you say, so I'll have to read it. An interesting side issue is that of manipulated choice. The manipulation, leading, predisposing, or nudging of PMR awareness by those aware in MPMRN is another mechanism through which certain probable outcomes are made more likely than others. In other words, another set of interactions that must be taken into account are actions and free will choices made by those extant in MPMRN, but not in PMR, <coughs> that directly influence or impact the beings in PMR. Some of those large, stable, and growing probability peaks exist because they are being encouraged or manipulated by MPMRN residents who may have much larger perspectives, much better information, a much clearer sense of the future, a bigger, better picture, and a more accessible knowledge base than PMR residents. Consequently, while some peaks, likely events, simply happen of and by themselves, others are guided. Would you mind elaborating on that a bit more? Sure. The system wants you to succeed. Right? We talked about that. The larger conscious system would like you to grow up and become love. That's the point of creating this virtual reality. That's the point of your being here and making choices. So if it can do something to help you do that, it will try to do it as long as it can do it without violating the rule set or violating history, violating facts that are on the ground. Right? It's not going to do that because those two things create discontinuities or uh, discrepancies in our reality. So as long as it can do its nudging without 
creating any discrepancies, any factual conflicts, then it will try to do those if it thinks you're engaged, you're trying to learn, you have the potential to learn, you just need a little nudge. You just need a little help to get unstuck. Okay, so that's what it does. Um, for people who are at the beginning of the of the cycle of experience packets, they mostly just get in and get out. They just need experience, right? They've only had uh, maybe a dozen uh, experience packets. So they just need to get more experience across more situations before they really could use any kind of nudging at all. So at that level, there is almost no nudging because they can't really use it. They're not at a point where that would be that helpful for them. As you get a little further along, you often don't grow up evenly in all aspects. You may be doing pretty well in some areas and not so well in others. So you may pretty well evolved in um, say caring for others and being cooperative, but you've got this anger management problem. You tend to fly off the handle and, and get upset and then apologize afterwards. This is the problem you have. So now the system may want to set something up where that particular issue of yours is challenged in a way that will help you succeed getting over it. You've already kind of failed at that particular thing about anger management, you know, enough times that that's why that's kind of a standout thing to learn. And the rest of the rest of you has, has evolved beyond that. So it will tell to try to help you out. If you have and you go even further along where you've been through many thousands of incarnations or experience packets, you may have kind of a special um special purpose in your incarnation and it may not even be about your own learning it may be that you provide um, a uh, kind of counterpoint to somebody else's learning you're part of a plan that helps them learn something or it could be that uh, they or you and other people have been found to be really really productive for each other you know you bring out the the best you really help each other learn. So whenever you go into a, a, an experience packet with these people, you learn a lot. Otherwise, you're not quite as, as successful because these people uh, just know how to pull you out, challenge you in the right way that you can succeed. So in that case, you may incarnate with two or three other people. Well, two or three other people may be in different states, different countries, and they need to come together in some place for you to interact with them. And that's where the nudges would come in. So the system would say, well, Susie, wouldn't you really like to move to Australia? That's a great place. And you just get this idea that Australia is just a great place. You don't know why, but you just get that sense that you've always wanted to go to Australia, but you've never really had an opportunity, you see. And that's a nudge. Okay, now, the system will never take your free will away, but it will give you nudges like that. Well, it's probably because you maybe need to meet somebody that's going to be very effective in your growth in Australia. <clears throat> so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. In my case, my own personal case, um, I was told at uh, 14 years old that my uh, that the one for me, you know, my wife, uh, was presently uh, two years old and lived in another state, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from me, which was very disappointing information when you're 14 years old. But 
that's the way it turned out because that person had been picked for me ahead of time because they would challenge me in the ways that I needed to be challenged. See, so that was the setup. So if you look at that, you can say, well, how could that prediction be made? Obviously, this is a predetermined reality, you know, something that I was told that I'd be 35 years old when I met this lady. And I was only 14 at the time. So you see, that's quite a quite a ways out in the future. So it just so happened that I got the inclination to move to the right state and I got the inclination to go take the right job. And she got the same kind of nudge to change her job and take this other job that just had an opening open up and so on. And we both ended up working at the same place, you know, bingo, you see. So it worked. And I was given a kind of an imprint of what she would be like, look like. So all I had to do, whenever I saw anybody that was similar to that, you know, um, you know, bells would go off and, and, you know, and sirens would start up. So that's just the way it was. And I had several false calls on that where it was just somebody that had a lot of the same characteristics that didn't turn out to be that that was the one. But then when the one finally did show up, it was obvious, you see. So those nudges are there to help you grow up. The more, uh, the farther along you are in the uh, evolutionary game, the more likely you are to run into nudges, things that are often synchronicities where you're just nudged to do something or go someplace, and that turns out to be a very important thing in your life. And it, it just sees, well, this is too incredible to just be circumstance. I just happened to, you know, bump into this person that changed my life. It probably wasn't circumstance. It may have been something that was nudged. It may have just been circumstance. You don't know. You'll never know. It's one of those things. Again, there's, a, there's no way to be 100% certain about anything in consciousness. It's all subjective. So that's, that's kind of how it works. And it's not like everybody is in that game. You have to, one, be ready and interested in growing up. And generally, you have to have some kind of plan that you're going to get nudged toward. But it makes things look like they're deterministic. But they're not. They're just nudged. And as I look back in my life, I can see a whole string of choices that landed me in that state and that job that were all kind of bizarre. Things that just, you know, if you had to put money on it, you'd say, eh, that was unlikely. That really came out of the blue. And then that led me to some other place that was unlikely that came out of the blue. So I could see all of these things that had happened around me to nudge me in a direction that I needed to go to make a connection. And foresight, or when I was going through it, I had no idea. I was totally oblivious to any nudging whatsoever. But when you look back, you can see this whole series of, of uh, not likely events that ended up putting me at the right place at the right time. All right, Tom. The next question comes from Ivan D. on the forum. Why uh, this, These questions are on extreme experiences and imaginary friends. Why doesn't the system prevent experiences of extreme physical pain, such as the flaying or burning of people alive, something that's happened innumerable times in history? And why would the LCS make an effort to put an imaginary friend into the data stream of a lonely child? 
I've heard Tom talk about such cases. But it would not help a child that's being tortured in the basement of a psychopath. There are many cases in which such unspeakable horrors happened, and the system allowed it. Why? Okay. Two things here to tell you. One, when you say the system allows it, the system is not... You know, the LCS is not a little old man with a long beard playing with these pet people. It's not whether he allows things or doesn't allow things. He's not moving us around like uh, pieces of a chessboard. We make choices, and by those choices, you know, we have experiences. And sometimes it's just random. Sometimes it's other people's choices. Remember I said there's, there's three ways earlier on that you can affect, you can modify your reality. But those are just the three ways. There's a whole lot of things you can affect. You have to interact with all these other people out there. And they can put you in different spaces you never intended to go into. Just what family you're born into with what kind of parents, it's what kind of mental problems and so on. All of that just happens. And the system doesn't go in and rearrange the pieces on the board because it happens. It has to let the simulation work out the way it works out. It can't intervene. If it intervenes, it can only do that by interfering with people's free will. Free will is sacred. You don't interfere with people's free will. People will be, will make of themselves what they do by their own choices, not because you moved them around at a, at a, a special time. Now, nudging is kind of a, a place where you give nudges, but you don't tell them what to do. You don't put them in specific places. You don't affect their free will. You just give them a idea. They still have to accept or reject that idea. Well, so that's one thing is how, you know, how would the LCS allow that? Well, it's not in the job of allowing anything. We, the beings here, with all of our dysfunction, we make choices and we affect everybody else around us with our choices. We have children and those children are affected by the quality of the consciousness of the parents, of the aunts, of the uncles, of the community, of the neighborhood. They're affected by all sorts of things. The schools, all, everything in their life affects them. It's just a result of all the choices that all the people make. So it's not a matter of allowing. You have to let people make choices. And when they make bad choices, they often create bad things. But now, back up on the very first sentence, you say, you said, that uh, these children are allowed to, you know, suffer terribly at the hands of whatever. Well, for the most case, they're not. It's not true that they are allowed to suffer. The system works in a way that, um, let's say you uh, fall out of a fifth-story window and you're headed for the concrete below. You're not going to experience splattering on the concrete. You will lose your consciousness and exit before that ever happens. Let's say that uh, you uh, have been born into a, a family of psychopaths and they enjoy, you know, torturing you. Well, if the probability is that it's just going to end up in your death, because that's looking at the most likely thing, then what they'll do is they'll just take that IUOC out of that and the system will just play the body as a non-player character, an NPC. So now all that torture and whatever is just on an NPC. The LCS absorbs that itself because it can. Okay. So 
those kinds of things the system does do. And the reason it does it is because it's counterproductive for people to go through horrible things like that and then expect the next incarnation is going to be full of love and peace. You see, that affects people. It affects them deeply. And it might make it very, very difficult for them for the next 20 incarnations just dealing with that. So when the system can, it takes them out as early as possible so that there's the minimum amount of damage done to their consciousness. And it plays the rest of the part, just like it does with a body falling off the fifth floor. You get taken out before you hit. So that's the, that is the, uh, uh, that's kind of the way the LCS works. So it depends on the situation. Now let's say there's a situation where that child isn't going to die. So the system isn't going to take them out completely. They may just remove them for a while. And then when that situation changed, like the police show up and, you know, put the parents in jail and take them someplace more loving, then they put them back after some healing's been done. You see, a system is a digital system. It can work around those problems. It doesn't want anybody to be damaged in such a way that it affects their potential for future growth. So whenever it can um, intervene like that without, again, it has to not not uh, change any facts and not, you know, uh, get crosswise with the rule set. As long as it's unnoticed, it can do lots of things. So don't make the assumption that it doesn't. And all these children just suffer. They suffer as little as possible that the system can do. Uh, and because they're children, their interactions are rather limited. So you can generally take them out very early without creating any problem. And the system is very good at playing their body as an NPC. So nobody knows. It's a, it's a way the system can, can help without causing a, 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 a problem, a conflict in our reality. So it doesn't want people to get damaged and then have to take a whole bunch of more experience packets just trying to crawl out of a hole because they just happen to have the bad luck of being born to a couple of psychopaths. That's not effective learning lab. Take those kids out and put them someplace else. If you know they're not going to survive, you can start them right off in another in another uh, body with another avatar. Or if they need to come back and redo that body, you wait until that body is healthy enough not to be a terrible experience to be in. So that's the way it works. Now, when they come back, and they, let's say the, the, the IUSC gets put back in that body. Now the child isn't going to all suddenly be a happy little child full of, you know, full of bounce and whatever. There's going to be some effect because the rule set and this, you know, it'd be a discontinuity. There's going to be some effects, but not to the point that there would have been. The system has to try not to cause discrepancies, but it does the best it can with, you know, whatever it does. That's, the way it works. Maybe that child came to be a, a, a sample to help other people grow up. It's hard to say. There's, you know, any, in a digital system, there is so much that can be done, so flexible that there's literally dozens of ways that any particular thing might be handled. And the system just takes the low entropy, one of those, and that's the one it tries to implement. Other than those kinds of disasters, it just lets everything go the way it goes. 
doesn't go in and stop psychotic parents from brutalizing their children because that's their free will and that's their choices. But it can make sure that most of the damage doesn't get done and it can take that child next incarnation and erase all that and uh, you know, make it so they don't have to suffer those, uh, those things. So the system is a nice system. It doesn't stand around, you know, watch babies suffer in as much as it can. Thanks, Tom. That's um, what I suspected in in some of those cases. And, of course, that it's a benevolent system. I imagine that is something that could be very comforting to some people who have um, known people who have gone through serious experiences like this. You know, I've even noticed that it seems to do this for all sorts of creatures, not just humans. If you if you are you know lying in bed and you have this the ceiling light on on your bedroom ceiling and you notice that a a couple of bugs get in the light shade and you see them and they're running around and they can't they can't get out they're kind of stuck and it's hot and dry and you know they're going to dehydrate it's going to kill them they'll be a little shriveled up bug eventually but now they just got trapped and you will notice that they don't last very long at all where they should be able to live without food or water for you know some days within hours they're gone i think it's the same sort of situation so it's not just the people and the human children but it also works for pets and dogs and cats and probably bugs too there is no point in letting anything suffer if it's already at its end game all right we're on to our next and final question um, from J.R. Stokes 53 from the MBT forum. He has, he or she has a question about hypnotism. Um, if, if Tom, and I know of hypnotism in the cases, say, that relate to past life experience packets. Mm -hmm. Sometimes hypnotism works for <clears throat> that kind of situation. He's asking in general, how, um, is it a real phenomenon? Could you explain a little about how it works? in relation to your theory. More specifically, in stage hypnotism, how does a hypnotist get a person to go to sleep and then do whatever they say? Also, why do some people seem to be more susceptible to being hypnotized than others? I guess it would be those with a more right-brained inclination. Or uh, what is your thought on that? Not necessarily right or left brain, but possibly. Uh, there may be some correlation there. What's going on in hypnotism is that the person being hypnotized, slowly, as the hypnotist talks to them, slowly starts to put away their own sense of self. They start to diminish okay, their own, uh, I don't really want to say ego, but their own sense of self, I guess is the best way to say it. And they then give that function over more and more to the hypnotist. So what they do is they make their own sense of self get less and less. Not that it disappears. It never disappears. It just gets less and less. And they allow the hypnotist to stand in for them more and more. So when they're hypnotized, they're up on that stage, and the hypnotist is trying to demonstrate and get applause. So he does things like um, he gets them hypnotized and then he 
tells them that they're going to give them a delicious apple and the apple's going to taste so good. It'll be the best apple they ever ate. And instead he gives them an onion and that person bites into that onion and goes, mmm, this is good. Best apple I ever ate. And you say, how do they do that? Well, the person knows that he's eating an onion. It's not like his mind is gone and he is just a, a robot controlled by the hypnotist. That's not the way it works. They've just given up their identity to the hypnotist to some degree, 50%, 60%, maybe 70%. And in doing so, the, the hypnotist then becomes their identity. Okay. Not him as an individual, but just his voice, just the things that he's asking them to do. He knows very well because he hears him telling the audience, look, I'm going to give this person a, an onion and he won't even know it. So the person knows he's going to get an onion even before he gets it. Not like he's out or unconscious. He just has a desire to go along with it because his identity is saying that this is what's going to happen and that's okay with him. That's his identity. Then he's going to go along with it. He doesn't have a strong identity anymore. So that's kind of how it works. So the people know they're not, it's not like they're blotto and don't know anything that's going on. They do know, but they cooperate. They have a desire to cooperate, a desire to do what the, what their alter ego, if you will, alter self, which is the hypnotist, is the hypnotist desires what they say. So now the reason that works for taking people back, like you can hypnotize somebody and say, what was the name of the little girl that sat in front of you in third grade? Something you probably wouldn't be able to pull up out of your intellect. But when you're in that state, your intellect is no longer in charge. The, the, the therapist, the hypnotist intellect is what you've given over to. And because your intellect's not in charge, it doesn't start doing all those things that make getting that information impossible. It just goes and looks See from the being level. It's no longer trapped in an intellectual state. And when it does that, there's that information. Could have done it on his own, but probably wouldn't have because his intellect would have gotten in the way. Now his intellect is given over to the therapist. So that's how you can have people regress to come up with information that would not be in their intellect. But the information is still there and it's in the database. The hypnotherapist just makes it easier for them to access that information by basically taking over the intellectual part of them and not taking over 100%, just a large percent. Some people, they're more likely to be hypnotized or hypnotized more easily than others because they abandon themselves to it. They give it up and say, okay, this guy's going to do this and I'm just going to let go of myself and I'm just going to hear his voice and he will be me. And I will do what he says and that's okay. So they have trust. If you're one of these people that says, I'm not going to eat an onion. I've seen this show before and I know what they're going to do. They're going to make those people look silly and not me. And you just keep your focus on you being you, then you will not be hypnotized. It won't work. An individual's only hypnotized because he gives himself up to the hypnotist willingly. Let's the hypnotist take over his intellectual function. All right. So that's kind of how that works. And that allows them to be in touch with all kinds of other information once that intellect gets out of the way. They can regress to other lifetimes. They can regress to what happened in the third grade. They can regress to 
trauma that they experienced when they were two years old and has affected them ever since, they can regress to all sorts of things. So that's what's going on. It's a way to tell your intellect to sit down and be quiet if you trust somebody else to take over. So some people are more likely to give themselves up than others. If you're frightened about it and you don't want to be hypnotized, you won't be. Not like they wave their hands and, you know, wave a little pendulum in front of you and then you're lost. And they will tell you things like, you won't remember any of this that happened. And though you will remember it, you'll tell everybody, no, I don't remember it because you want to play along. You want to please, you want to go along with what's going on because that's your, that's your new identity. Wants you to do that and you want to do it. So that's what it does. So it basically co-opts your will, if you will. Maybe that's the thing to say. It kind of takes over your will and you give your will up to, to someone else. Not totally. At any time, you could say, no way, stand up and walk off the stage. And that would be fine. You'd probably be a little disconcerted for a minute until you get yourself back together, sort of like getting up from a meditation too quickly. But other than that, you could always stop it anytime you want. And they can give, um, um, oh, what's the name of it? But anyway, they can give you um, things that the, the next time the clock rings, you will start the whistle, you know, that sort of thing. And that will be set in your memory. And when the clock rings, you'll think, oh, I should whistle now. And you won't really question where that comes from. It'll just be an idea that's in there because your will was in control of somebody else. So they can plant some kind of a, of a uh, trigger that will go off. But again, if you say, I'm not going to do that, I really don't like blowing whistles and I'm not going to do that, you won't. The clock, will, the, the clock will ring and you'll think about it and you'll say, no, don't want to go there. And you won't. So that's hypnotism. It's got a lot of value in medicine because you can get to the being level of people and get out of their constraints that they have on their intellect, what they know intellectually, and get down to not only what they know, but what they can access from the being level. So you can help people change their attitudes. Like uh, hypnosis is often a thing people use to lose weight or to stop smoking or do something like that. You just implant an attitude and an idea into them, and then that becomes their own idea as long as they accept it and they go along with it. So it can be very effective. So it is a real thing, yes. But it's not like Hollywood or the comic books make it sound. It's not like you suddenly turn into a zombie with no memory and another person takes takes you over. You know, it's not like that. 